0: Well, good morning again. I am actually Pastor Aaron Scantlin. (laughs) Not that guy.
1: And I'm Sarah Scantlin, and I'm so glad that you all braved the cold weather to come and be with us this morning. We are really excited to share with you what we've been learning and studying from the book of Esther, and so we are preparing to take us all through the entire book of Esther this morning. So please hold on. Um, Grab your Bibles and turn to Esther uh, or your devices, um, or you can get to the Bible app. And if you go to the Bible app and in events at the bottom, you can find Sunlight Community Church, and that will have all the verses that we're walking through today. We are continuing with our series of Bigger Vision how no matter what vision we think that we have for our lives or what's important in front of us, God has a bigger vision for us and for his church as a whole. And he wants us to be able to look up and see that bigger vision. So let's pray together as we get started. God, thank you for this family here. Thank you that we are all your children. Thank you for the encouragement that I have experienced in reading through and studying your story of Esther. Um, I pray that you would bring truth and revelation to our hearts, and that you would give us the right words to share, and that you would give us all uh, that reminder of the bigger vision that you have for us to look up from our circumstances and see the big things and the big story that you are telling. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we want to start by putting Esther into its proper historical context, both biblical, biblical history and world history, uh, because Esther is a historical book. These are real people and history that really happened, and there's evidence for that.
0: Yeah, so the Jews in Judah, you know, we got the two parts of the kingdom, Israel and Judah, and Judah was defeated by the Babylonian kingdom and taken captive, and that's when we see Daniel uh, come into this story, and he lasts through several of these kings, so it's actually a hundred years from when Daniel is carried off in captivity by the Babylonians um, before we get to this story of Esther, and during this time, there's King Nebuchadnezzar, and then his son is actually taken out by the Persians and the Medes. And there's King Cyrus, and then there's King Darius, the second king of Persia, uh, who conquered Babylon. So then Darius, as he's trying to expand his kingdom, he's got this issue with the Greeks. So he sends out an army to take off the Greeks. And Hollywood has actually immortalized this story, Um, but now we're coming at it from the other side because the movie is 300. So we've seen this from the Greek side where... Persia brings in this huge army and this amazing tactical military move the Athenians are able to stop the Persians with just 300 guys Uh, it's crazy and it's a huge terrible defeat for Darius the king of Persia so of course being humiliated he wants to come back and wipe out the Greeks but before he can he dies So his son, Ahasuerus, or the Greek way to say that, the way we normally hear it is King Xerxes, um, he comes on to the throne with revenge on his mind. And yes, for his father, but also so that he doesn't look bad. He wants to show the power and strength and majesty of his kingdom. And that is where the book of Esther begins. So King Xerxes, now after this huge defeat by his father, he has to convince the whole kingdom of Persia that, hey, we can do this. We can go back in. We can defeat the Greeks and wipe them out. So he decides the way to do this is to throw a couple parties. <laughs> and when we say parties, we mean he has the entire kingdom party for 180 days, a six-month party to show the money and the splendor and the glory of the Persian kingdom his kingdom king Xerxes
1: so at the end of this 6 month party he throws a 7 day banquet and he brings all the nobles in the capital city of Susa together everyone important is here at this banquet 7 days it's we're talking like a crazy drinking fest he's got all the important people and in his drunken pride Xerxes decides he wants to command his queen, Queen Vashti, to come out so that he can show off her beauty to all of his friends. Now, Vashti is not in the mood to be paraded around in front of all of Xerxes' drunken friends. So she says no and refuses the command of the most powerful man in that world.
0: So this, of course, sends Xerxes into a rage. So after consulting with his advisors they decide to blow the whole thing way out of proportion and make a decree that women everywhere in the kingdom have to obey their husbands. (laughs) And just to, you know, make a point here, he dethrones Vashti, and she's no longer queen. And so it's at this point now that Xerxes musters up the largest army in the world, and he heads out to Greece, to avenge his father, show that he's even greater, and destroy the Greeks. So they, they show up to Athens, and the Athenians are actually really smart. You know, they, They're really good at battle. They've thought ahead, and they've evacuated the city. So here's this huge Persian army coming to take them out, and there's nobody there. So they could have just burned the city of Athens to the ground, and that's probably what they should have done. But instead, in his arrogance, King Xerxes sends out all of his army into the sea on their huge, big, powerful ships. But once again, in another military tactical miracle, the Athenians take their much smaller and faster ships and destroy Persia again. So Xerxes is coming back now defeated He remembers Vashti, and he's sad. He's lost his queen, he's lost his army, and so, of course, he decides to throw a kingdom-wide beauty pageant to find a new queen. Makes sense, right? That's what you do.
1: So, here's where we meet Esther. Esther is a Jew, and she's an orphan. She's been raised by her uncle, Mordecai, who's also a main character in this story. Um, So Esther is taken, not of her own will, to be a part of this beauty pageant. Um, We might call it One Night with the King. Mordecai tells her to keep her Jewish heritage a secret. And as she's always done in the past, she listens and she obeys Mordecai. She's brought in with all of the other virgins to the eunuch who's in charge of this whole pageant. And we see from the very beginning that there is something about Esther. Everyone who comes in contact with her... uh, she finds favor in their eyes. So clearly she is beautiful on the outside, but we also see from the story that there is something deeper inside that draws people to her. So she spends the next year preparing for her one night with the king, six months of oils and six months of perfumes. So the Persian culture is all about external beauty and lavish pleasure Kind of like our culture.
0: So when it's her turn to go into the king, King Xerxes is also smitten with her and her beauty. So the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So Esther is actually a unique book of the Bible, in fact, a singularly unique book of the Bible, because it's the only book that doesn't mention the name of God. It doesn't say God anywhere in this book, but his fingerprints Mm -hmm. are all over this story. Now, from the Persian mindset, uh, we're going to see tons of things of what they would consider coincidences, but... We understand that this is God's hand at work to protect his people, even in the midst of the mess of the world, because God has a bigger vision for Esther and Mordecai and even King Xerxes.
1: Now, the writer of Esther uses a really interesting and important literary technique where we see the story mirror itself. And we're going to find a focal point in the middle of the story. We're going to see that here. And we're going to see that the enemy has a plan for the defeat of the Jews. But we see that even when it seems like God's name is not mentioned, when it seems like God is absent, he is still at work.
0: So here's one of these coincidences. Mordecai, who's probably a nobleman, is hanging out with the nobleman at the gates of the city and he hears a plot by two men that want to assassinate King Xerxes. So Mordecai sends a message to Esther telling her about this plot. And then in turn, Esther's able to turn around and tell the king. And they stop the plot. And because of Mordecai, the king's life is saved.
1: So this is where we meet our next main character, Haman. Now, Haman is not actually Persian. We're told that Haman is an Agagite, a descendant of the Amalekites. So the Amalekites were the first people to attack the Jews as they came into the Promised Land out of Egypt. And the Jews and the Amalekites have been fighting with each other ever since for all of history.
0: So King Xerxes now, he elevates Haman to second in command in the entire kingdom. And he makes a decree that everybody should bow down when Haman comes by. And as Haman goes out, everyone's bowing down, and he comes to the city gates, and here's Mordecai, a Jew, a mortal enemy of the Amalekites. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down, Or pay homage. So, as we see all throughout this book, this enrages Haman.
1: Now, Haman finds out that Mordecai is Jewish, his mortal enemy. So, Haman decides it's not enough to destroy just Mordecai. He wants to wipe out the entire Jewish race off of the face of the earth. So, right here we see an early example of Hitler in history. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. And we'll go ahead to the next. We're going to do, there we go. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver, millions of dollars, into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, so that they may put it in the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, and he gave it to Haman the Agagite, son of Hamandatha, the enemy of the Jews.
0: So now Haman, he casts lots he takes some dice and rolls it which is called purr uh, to pick a date on which the enemies of the Jews will rise up and legally wipe them all off the planet you know this looks scary from uh, from what we can see you know what we would think of as reality and we often look at things from a physical perspective But we forget that there is a spiritual world. There's a spiritual battle going on all around us. And just like God is at work in the midst of this story, so is our enemy, the devil. And he's using Haman to advance his plot to destroy the Jews.
1: So Mordecai hears about Haman's plan to wipe out all the Jews. He goes into public mourning. He's wearing sackcloth and ashes. He sits at the gates of the capital city of Susa and sits in mourning in the public area. Um, Esther is in the palace, and there she's completely isolated from the outside world. So she doesn't know what's going on. But her servants come and tell her that Mordecai is in mourning in public. She sends a servant with clothes to him, saying, "'Put yourself together. You're in public.'" and to find out why he is in mourning.
0: So we're going to look at chapter 4 here. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people.
1: And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except to the one whom the king holds out, the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said.
0: And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this.
1: Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Esther had to change her vision from her own safety, from what was going on in her life and her own fear, to God's bigger vision to protect her and all of the Jewish people. And I wonder how often, or I know, how often I'm focused on my own comfort and security. And I don't think to look up and see the bigger story that God is writing and how he is still in control.
0: But God's plan cannot be thwarted by the enemy, by the world, or even from our reluctance to follow God's plan. God's going to move. The question is, do we want to see him Move through us.
1: But that's where it gets scary. Yeah. We have to have a faith big enough, like that of Esther, where we could say, I will obey. And if I perish, I perish. So maybe God has placed me, maybe He has placed you in the place where you are right now, even though you're surrounded by fear, for such a time as this, in order to say, I will obey. And if I perish, I perish. God is in control. So we're going to look at Esther 5, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to read about Esther's first banquet. So on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite to the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. So the king and Haman show up at Esther's banquet, and the king says again, What is your request? I will grant anything, even up to half my kingdom. And Esther says, I request that you and Haman return again tomorrow to a second banquet. So Esther is smart. She knows the king, she knows how to get him on her side.
0: So Haman leaves this banquet as just him and the queen and the king. And he is on top of the world. He's been honored by Queen Esther. And on his way home to brag to his wife and his friends, he passes Mordecai, who again refuses to bow down. And and that's all Haman can think about. Here's this guy who's the second most powerful man in the entire kingdom. And all he can think about is one guy who snubbed him? How often are we surrounded by so many blessings, and yet we're discontent because of one little thing that we're perceiving being wrong? And we focus on it, it's all we can think of. So Haman goes home, and he has a nice big pity party. All these guys do is party. So he has this big pity party for himself with his wife and his friends. And he's forgotten all about the elevation that he has been given and being honored by Esther. And on the advice of his friends to get back a Mordecai, they say, why don't you build a 75-foot pole that you can impale Mordecai on? Real cute. So Mordecai then, he does this, and he prepares to go and ask the king, to give him Mordecai so that he can kill him. And just when the story looks darkest, just when the enemy is about to have his greatest victory, that's when God steps in.
1: Let's look at Esther 6. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. So God is not mentioned here. I don't see the name of God. But he does step in, and he twists history where everything looked like it was the darkest hour. And in one verse, the king could not sleep. God gives the king insomnia. God puts the right book of Chronicles into the servant's hand to come and read before the king And it just so happens that the book he reads is the one that tells the story of Mordecai saving the king from the plot against his life. And if we look at 6.3, it says, the king responds by saying, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, 'Uh, well, nothing has been done for him.
0: So the next morning, Haman comes in to ask King Xerxes' permission to execute Mordecai. But before he can ask, the king is trying to figure out how he can honor Mordecai for saving his life. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, well, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? <laughs> And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done. To the man whom the king delights to honor. And then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave nothing out that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor.
1: So this is the plot twist. Haman does what the king commands him to do. He puts his mortal enemy, Mordecai the Jew, on the horse and leads him through the streets of Susa, honoring his enemy.
0: So Haman's dejected. I mean, this is as low as you can get. But later that day now, he has to go back to the palace for Esther's second banquet and at Esther's second banquet the king asked her again what is your request what do you want it will be granted to you
1: then queen Esther answered if I have found favor in your sight O king and if it please the king let my life be granted for me for my wish and my people for my request for we have been sold I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen.
0: And in another drunken rage... King Xerxes leaves and heads out to his gardens. And at that point, Haman, fearing for his life, falls down on top of Esther and pleading, don't kill me, don't let me die. And just then, the king walks back in and says, what? Are you going to assault my queen even in my own house? And instantly, his servants come and they take out Haman. But just killing Haman isn't enough. They also need to humiliate him.
1: Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai then the wrath of the king abated.
0: So now the king gives Esther Haman's house, his money, his possessions and his power. And Esther turns around and gives to her uncle Mordecai Haman's house, his money, his possessions and his power. And she sets him up. So so Haman's been taken care of. He's out of the picture now. But there's still the problem of the king's decree to wipe out the Jews because the king's decree cannot be overturned.
1: So here's where Esther falls down again at the feet of the king and begs for the lives of her people. She says, how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred?
0: And so the king says to both her and Mordecai, You may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked.
1: So, Mordecai writes a decree to save the Jews. And this decree is sent out to all 127 provinces, those same provinces who received the first decree that Haman wrote, And the decree says the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods.
0: And then we see in verse 15 and 16. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. When God's people follow God's plan and God puts them in his place, The people are glad.
1: And Mordecai is elevated. We next see Mordecai's rise to greatness. And let's look at Esther 9. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them.
0: And then we have the summation of this whole story. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast poor, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, for they called these days Purim after the term Pur. So now Purim is, is a major festival that the Jews continue to celebrate and remember that God protects his people.
1: And we see in Esther 10:3, for Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people.
0: Now, as we look back on this story, we have at the beginning of the story that King Xerxes' greatness.
1: And we see that mirrored with Mordecai's greatness.
0: And then we have Haman being elevated.
1: Which is mirrored by Mordecai being elevated.
0: We have Haman's decree to kill the Jews.
1: And Mordecai's decree to save the Jews.
0: And we see Mordecai imploring Esther.
1: And then we see Esther empowering Mordecai to a position of authority.
0: And then we have these two banquets of Esther framing the center of this story
1: which is the biggest plot twist of all. And this is my favorite part of what we studied over the last couple of weeks about Esther is this literary device that we've talked about. And the author on purpose used a known device to mirror each part of the story. And all of it points to one verse in the very center of the story. And that verse is so unremarkable. The verse is, and the king could not sleep And when you think about that, it seems so unremarkable and yet so powerful that God, even though his name is not mentioned, reached in and gave the king insomnia, twisted the entire course of history, saving the lives of the Jewish people because the king could not sleep.
0: So God had a bigger vision for his people than Esther or Mordecai. Or any of them understood. Because this wasn't just about the protection and salvation of Esther and Mordecai and all of the Jews in the Persian kingdom. No, if this had gone through, if this plot had happened, it would have also wiped out all of the Jews in Jerusalem. And that is the line of Judah from which Messiah, Jesus Christ will come, and he would bring the ultimate plot twist in all of history and time. In the darkest moment, when the enemy thought that he had finally gained the ultimate victory and killed God's son, Jesus flips the script. He rose again, defeated death, and in that moment, he made a way for us to become A part of his family. So, Sunlight, do we want to see God move through us? Are we willing to have that faith that even when it seems like God's absence, we still trust that God is at work? Are we willing to take that scary step and say, if I perish, I perish? But I don't want to sit back and see God move through somebody else because I wasn't willing to follow what he's asked me to do. I want to see God move through me.